entering the Freedom Hut. The lockdown backlash begins. Los Angeles wants you to cancel everything. Florida, however, holds the line for freedom. Trump spends 45 minutes attacking voter fraud and no more exotic emotional support animals on planes. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Oh, my. That's right. Here we are at a point where we now see the numbers for COVID cases higher than they've been since April. We're seeing spikes in hospitalization. We're seeing high levels of day to day deaths from COVID-19. And the people who were celebrating over the summer in places like California, celebrating what a great success they were in stopping this virus because of their masking and their lockdowns now have no answer other than lockdown even more. Do more of what we've said you have to do for months and just ignore the fact that anyone who's observing what's happening here could not come away from this believing that this stuff actually works. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that a mask cannot help you in any circumstance. Or that if you stayed home and avoided all human contact, you would be safe from the virus. I'm talking about government policy, government mandates, government's use of force to shut down your business and keep you in your home and limit your freedom of travel, your freedom to operate day to day. Is that working? Is it helpful or does it just make everything worse? Does it take out of individual hands the right to make your own health decisions for a pandemic that the government clearly, flatly, obviously cannot stop? Can can it be any more obvious at this point? What else has to happen? New York, California, places that have been touting how we came together and listened to the science. That's what they were saying. Did we stop listening to the science suddenly in the last 60 days? No, we did not. Maybe there's another issue here. Maybe there's another problem. People are starting to see what's really happening here. They can't hide it from you anymore. So what they're going to do is insist you obey and use force. They're going to send men with guns from sheriff's offices, local police departments, health department. I don't know if they're armed or not. Depends on where you are, maybe. They're going to send people with the force of the state behind them to make you do things that aren't even provable as good ideas. That's what they're going to do. And we're all supposed to accept this now. Now, you might say, well, Buck, the government does a lot of things. The government takes money from me in taxes. Yeah, but there are guarantees. You see, there are constitutional guarantees of due process, of equal protection, of the free exercise of religion, of freedom of assembly. And these have been completely trampled over by these idiot tyrants who are overwhelmingly Democrats at the state and local level. They do it all across the country. It's terrible here in New York City. It's awful in Los Angeles. Boston, Chicago, Atlanta, name a city. A major city with Democrat control, and I'll show you a place that has shown no ability whatsoever to control COVID-19. 
but wants even more authority, wants even more power now to make you submit, to make you obey. And Staten Island, this is one of the five boroughs of New York City, perhaps the least known, it's the least populated, and it has much more in common with New Jersey than uh, Manhattan proper. Great place. I like Staten Island a lot. They had a, uh, a bar owner, bar and restaurant for Max Public House. I spoke to his lawyer last night. They had a rally where they just gathered together and they said enough is enough. Here's what they did to Max Public House. They sent sheriffs in. Because this guy had said on social media, I, I can't continue to have my business destroyed. So they sent sheriffs in 20 of them. And they arrested him. They arrested him and wrote up multiple citations because he's in a red zone or an orange zone or whatever the color of the zone is. He's in a zone designated as too dangerous for indoor dining. But two blocks away, there are other businesses, his competitors, who are in a in a more free zone on the same island. So they get to make money and feed their families. Max Public House does not. And he just says, this is capricious and arbitrary. This is bullcrap. That's what it is. There's no science to justify this. There's no, oh, look at the data. It'll tell you. No, this is idiot politicians who can't control this thing, who have been wrong at every phase of the pandemic, who only view the answer as one thing. It's the same thing every time. They do more. They do more stuff. They have more power. More infringements, more dictates, more mandates. And so the backlash in Staten Island has begun. Hundreds of people gathered together there. What about other places? Well, you think of the states that have had the most extreme restrictions and have also been the states, generally speaking, with the worst COVID results. California, perhaps an exception, which I think has more to do with climate meaning the weather, not the climate change, the, the weather in California and the fact that people aren't as densely populated even in the major cities there as they are on the East Coast and in some of the central uh, Midwestern cities like Chicago and Detroit. But the states with the worst records dealing with COVID are New York, uh, Michigan, New Jersey. These are blue as blue can be places. Well, Michigan may be a little less so, but Detroit is where most of the COVID cases were happening, most of the fatalities. And California is now having a massive surge, as we know. So we look at what's going on and we understand that the regulations, the rules that they put in place clearly have not had the intended effect. So you know what they're doing? They want more regulations as a result. Here is the mayor of Los Angeles who's just telling you, shut it down, shut it all down. Play six. The choices between us are stark, between health and sickness, between care and apathy, and yes, between life and death for too many of the people that we love. My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. And following our targeted safer at home order, if you're able to stay home, stay home. This is equivalent to a, a public official telling you, 
really just stop living your life. And keep in mind, they'll say for a week or two, it's not a week or two, it's the next 60 to 90 days. Do you want to make that trade-off? Even more important question, do you think the government should be able to force you to make that trade-off? Of uh, the people listening to this, just Americans, you have a 99 point across all age groups. I believe it's a 99.7% chance of surviving if you get COVID. Three out of a thousand people who get COVID could die from it. And that includes people in their 80s and 90s in that sample size. If you're under the age of 50, your chance of dying from this is less than your chance of dying if you got seasonal flu. That's a fact. You want to stay, you want to stay at home and, and, and uh, give up the next 60 to 90 days of living life? And, and let me ask you this. Do you think that's worked so far? Do you think that's stopped this? They just keep trying to constrict Keep trying to put more pressure and just squeeze down on this. It doesn't work. It's obvious it doesn't work. They, they hope and pray, not that the kind of people that call for this stuff really pray in, in earnest, but they, they hope that you won't notice. That you'll just be scared and you'll listen and you'll do as you are told. That's really what this is about. Do as you're told, peasant. Don't ask any questions. That's what Garcetti wants. Yeah, people are scared. But there are other people who aren't scared. I go into an office every day. Every day. I'm traveling. I'm moving around the city. I go into an office every day. I try to be careful around older family members. And I'm very attuned to whether or not I have any symptoms. I get tested if I think there's a concern. That's it. That's the only thing that I think a reasonable person can do. And I'm in the most densely populated part of the country. Okay, I'm in the middle of the biggest city in America that had the most COVID deaths of any place in America. And I'm telling you, I want to live my life. And I do. I'm not, I'm not hunkered down. I go out to the stores. I go to my office every day now. I tape a TV show every day now. This is what I'm doing. And I don't want to stop. And I don't think that these idiots in charge have the right to make me stop. And as importantly... They're wrong about what will happen if they make me stop. Do we live in a free country or not? We're starting to have to ask this question. Do we live in a free country? If your mayor or your governor can tell you you're not allowed to leave your home except under specifically defined circumstances, you certainly can't gather together with other human beings. You can't have a wedding. You can't have a funeral. You can't open your, your business, your restaurant, your shop, your store. The answer is we don't live in a free country. We need to face up to that. We need to look at this and deal with the reality. It's time to say enough. Not everyone's going to do it. Not everyone's going to push back. But you know what they can do? They can look down to Florida where I'm not saying it's some utopia down there, although the weather is very nice. But they're doing better than New York City. They're doing better than California right now in this fight against COVID. No mask mandates. No mandates. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But they're not they're not having the government ram this down people's throats. They're not shutting down businesses all across the board. And they're doing a little bit better. Think about this, though. They should be much worse. According to what the lockdowners say, Florida should just be, oh, my gosh, pandemonium for the pandemic. Right. It's just it's not the case. Why? 
Why is that? Why is that observable? I'm not telling you. This is not just my analysis. You can see it. Look at the numbers. It's because the people who have been taking away your freedom this whole time and promising you safety in return have been lying to you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Michigan is one of the states that's been hit the hardest by COVID, mostly in and around Detroit. But Michigan overall has has had a tough time with it. And, and Gretchen Whitmer has been among the most extreme governors. She's one that wants to make her mark by telling everybody that they can't even go from one home they own to another home they own. Not allowed. Maybe you'll infect somebody in your car by yourself. Idiotic, of course, but there are people in Michigan, as well as many other states who are starting to see all of these failures, all of these shortcomings, and they've had enough. They're sick of it. In central Michigan, uh, there's a guy who went on a rant on a local TV station. He's a restaurant owner who interrupted a local TV report. And I want you to this is this is a, a little a little bit of a longer clip. I want you to hear the whole thing by this guy. Here's here's just an American. Here's a guy who showed up probably 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Restaurant hours are long and hard. He's been there, you know, scrubbing pots and pans, telling his staff they got to show up. They got to get the meal out, fire up that chicken, get that burger cooked properly. I mean, it's restaurant work is hard. As friends of mine, people I know will tell you at any opportunity, it looks glamorous on TV. It's not a lot of depending whether you're doing the chef side of it or the server side of it, a lot of long hours on your feet. It's not easy stuff. And to be a restaurant owner, you're in it. You're in that fight every day. You got to deal with customers. You got to deal with their whims and their fits. So when you've built a restaurant that's able to pay the bills, you know what? You're a success. You've beaten the odds. And this guy has a successful business that's being destroyed. It's being taken from him by tyrannical bureaucrats. And he's in central Michigan. He's had enough. This is what he had to say. Play 12. The details on why the judge said no. Is everything okay? Okay. My government leaders have abandoned me. Are you are you the owner? Four trillion dollars of stimulus money. They gave it to who? Special interest groups and campaign donors. I'm Dave Morris. I own the place. So what's going on? What's going on? You know what's going on. Tell me. You tell me. Hey, we got a government that has taken the stimulus money. They gave it to special campaign donors. They gave it to special interests. They abandoned me, and they have put me in a position where I have to fight back. Okay? So do you feel that this is the right thing to do? Absolutely. I feel everybody needs to stand up. Hey, listen. There was enough money to give every family... Every family in this country, $20,000 to go home for two months. They chose to give it to special interests and campaign donors, the Kennedy Space Center, and they abandoned us. So you could have given me money. I'd gladly walk away for 60 days and let this virus settle down. I'm not going to do it alone. Okay. Are you going to continue to violate the state's orders and this stay open? State, state order. This isn't an order. This is a conspiracy. This is a tyranny. What do you want to tell other restaurant owners who... Wake up. Stand up. This is America. Be free. I got patriots coming out supporting me. Wake up. Stand up. This is America. Be free. That's Dave Morris, restaurant owner in Central Michigan. My government leaders have abandoned me, he says. That's true. 
They have mandated that he shut down his business. No more income. Ruined all the hard work he put into it. Going to be fall- he's falling behind on rent, I'm sure, for the for the location. I'm, it's unlikely he owns it. Staff members that he might have trained and worked with have had to go and find other work or perhaps they're at home on unemployment. It's a mess. And for what? Because this works so well? Because shutting down human contact has stopped this virus in its tracks? Who believes that at this point? Who really thinks that's true? Based on what? Look at where we are now versus where we were before they were going into all these lockdowns. You're going to tell me it's such a better situation? Notice that they they can't decide, depending on which news outlet you check at, at any moment, if they see one area where cases have gone down a little bit in the last week, it's, oh, see, all of our lockdowns have worked. If they see that cases have gone up a little bit, it's, oh, people didn't listen to us over Thanksgiving. There's no honesty in the assessment of these figures and numbers. There's no honesty in how they're looking at these lockdowns. I'll tell you this. Even a lot of conservative jurists and a lot of conservative politicians, for sure, are cowards. There are constitutionalist judges who are cowards right now on this. Because nobody wants to be the one who says the government can't protect you from this virus. It will pretend and do a lot of damage by pretending, but it is up to you and your family to find what works best for you, to protect yourself, to make your own decisions. You can listen to all these mandates. You can listen to everything they're telling you and go for an essential doctor's visit. Go to the hospital because you have to get something checked out that has nothing to do with COVID and have a nosocomial infection. You could go to the grocery store and sure enough, somebody there is infected too because this is the place where we're all gathering and you can still get infected. I understand that they say this is meant to mitigate your chances of getting infected. But how much is that really working and what's the cost? Mitigated by what degree? I mean, if I told you that your chance of getting COVID-19, I mean, it, it went down by by 5%. Would it be worth all these lockdowns? Why can't we have a trade-offs discussion? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, in Florida, Tucker, as you mentioned, all businesses are open. We've had things like theme parks, beaches open for months and months. We have schools open, all K-12 through school districts, private schools, charter schools. Uh, We have sporting events. And um, I think that for me, I think as you alluded to, a lot of these lockdowns have been very ineffective. Uh, They have huge negative consequences and my view is that everybody's essential who is government to say that your job is not essential i think it is essential Uh, i think some of the stuff in march and april uh uh, didn't work um i think you have to let people earn a living and it's really not even government's role to say who who could pick and choose so we want everyone to have gainful employment we want businesses to be able to operate so they're open florida's still functioning as as a as a relatively Normal society. There you're hearing from Ron DeSantis, the governor. There is another way, friends. That's what I'm saying. And they just ignore it because the people that have pushed these lockdowns, they think they're so smart. Oh, they think they're so much smarter than all the rest of us. Oh, and they've got a bunch of Biden voting blue check MDs who will say, we listen to the science. Yeah, I, I can see with my own eyes what's happening. I don't need someone to tell me the science. Looking at the most recent data. 
coronavirus cases, mind you, if you look at the fatality rate, New York is still far worse, far worse than Florida. Um, But if you look at cases as of, let me see, yesterday, you got about 8,000 COVID-19 cases in Florida. And you've got, let me see here, um, 89, yeah, 89.75 in New York. And you got, uh, you know, 80, 88, 47 in Florida the last couple of days. I'm just, you know, just to give you a sense of the numbers. So you got about the same number of cases in New York, same number of cases in Florida. And these are popular. These are states with close to the same population. Florida is actually more populous than New York by a couple of million. So what exactly is New York gaining? In, in what way is New York doing such a great job with orange zones and red zones and shutting down businesses? Cases are the same. So uh, we are running the experiment right now in real time. Florida is run by people like Ron DeSantis who are saying, let's look at what's actually happening and deal with what we're seeing in real life. New York is, oh, I'm going to Cuomo. I listen to the science. If you don't listen to me, you want your grandparents to die. Because I'm very sciencey. I listen to a lot of science. That's what's going on. We all understand. All you have to do is think for yourself and you will come to the conclusion that the people who have pushed these lockdowns are living in a fantasy. Remember, the, the alternative to lockdown is not go out to a crowded bar as soon as possible if you're a senior citizen and let people cough in your face, right? They always set up this straw man. The alternative to lockdown is put out all the public health messaging you can about things people can do to try to mitigate, but then allow individuals to make choices. Allow them to decide whether they want to go to a restaurant and eat indoors or not. Whether they want to go to a store and buy something or not. Life is at your own risk. That's the way we should be allowed to live. But that's certainly not what's happening right now. Now we're having all these, all these dictates and mandates just, just foisted upon us. We were under this tyrannical yoke of idiots. Idiots! who think that they know so much more than they do about how to make this better. I, I, I would love to see the CDC director try to explain why Florida and New York have about the same number of cases when one is, you heard the governor, schools are open, businesses are open, no mask mandates. If, if a business owner wants you to wear a mask, they can put up a, a wear a mask sign and that's a private premises. And if they want that, fine. I'm not unreasonable, but you see in New York, every business requires it as a function of law from the government. They didn't make a choice. Some of them might want it. Some of them might not. You have to do it. See, that's the mandate part of this. That's the force you all based upon this highly specious argument that this is a game changer for stopping the pandemic spread. It's clearly not. What happened in Los Angeles? Why is California exploding with cases? Oh, they were that, that California was all about masks, all about masks. Remember when they would have mass gatherings for BLM protests or for Biden victories? Well, they were wearing masks. Oh, OK. What happened? They stopped wearing masks. No. So what's their explanation for this? It gets colder. Out. Oh, human behavior changes because it gets a little colder. California is not that much colder. Just saying. So what's their explanation? They don't have one. 
They don't have one. Their, their explanation is mask up, shut up, do what you're told. That's all they have to say to you. And the CDC director is entirely unhelpful in this regard. Play seven. The time for debating whether or not masks work or not is over. We clearly have scientific evidence. You couple that with uh, social distancing, hand washing, being smart about crowds, uh, doing things more outside than inside. Uh, these are critical uh, mitigation steps, to, which to many people seem simple and they don't really think it could have you know, much of an impact. But the reality is they're very, very powerful tools. They have an enormous impact. And right now it is so important that we recommit ourselves to this mitigation as we now begin to turn the corner with the vaccine. But the reality is December and January and February are going to be rough times. I actually believe they're going to be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation, uh, largely because of the stress that's going to put on our health care system. Wait, but we're going to do all the mitigation. So how do you know it's going to be the worst winter we've ever had in public health? I don't understand. Notice this doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. How how, uh, he says it's very powerful tools. A very powerful tool is everybody masks up. Everybody social distances in, let's just say, one city and cases drop 30 percent, 50 percent within a couple of weeks. That's a powerful tool. Does anyone think that's going to happen? Oh, no. Maybe it maybe it slows the rate, not even the full duration, slows the rate of the spread, meaning the speed, the velocity of spread by what? Five percent, 10 percent. Okay, well, how many businesses are you willing to bankrupt? How many suicides are you willing to, uh, you know, essentially push people toward? How much depression and and despair and how many seniors die alone in hospitals, die alone in nursing homes because they're not allowed to see their loved ones and they haven't been able to for a long time. I just want to know, you know at, at what cost for that 5% slower spread or 10? And I'm making up the numbers. But see, I tell you, I'm honest when I say I'm just making, I'm just taking guesses. That's what they are doing too. Don't you think if the CDC director and all these journos out there had clear evidence don't you think that they would present it? We would all know what it is. Where is this? Where is this? This uh, and notice he said evidence, not proof. I want proof. You're going to have government mandates. You're going to destroy businesses and, and ruin lives because you say you're protecting lives by uh, having a, a government mandate to shut down some businesses. Remember, it's not all businesses. If they did a full on lockdown, everyone must stay home you cannot leave we will arrest you on site yeah that that would bring the spread down you know i'm sure within two weeks you'd see a you know 80 percent drop or 70 percent drop maybe more but here's the problem with that society would crumble people would freak out how do we get people what they need how do we can how do we get essential day-to-day needs tended to if you can't even leave your home. We don't have the infrastructure for that. We have no way of getting everyone food. You're going to tell people they need to just starve for two weeks. It's lives at stake. Most Americans have a little reserves in the belly. They'll be OK. Right. Now, I understand this is just a thought experiment, but think think through it. Let's say we did that. Let's say we listened to them. We went to the most extreme possible version of the mitigation, as Fauci calls it. 
two weeks. No one's allowed to leave their home. You're going to be arrested on site. And we, we, we bring that curve way down. We crush that curve. Then what happens? Okay, we did our two weeks. We did our two weeks. So then we, now we can go out a little bit, right? Now we can start going to stores and we, right. And what happens then? Oh, that's right. The virus starts spreading all over again. And they'll say, oh no, but let's try to, you know, titrate this. Let's try to, try to mitigate this a little bit. No, doesn't work. It's going to spread. The only way to get this thing to stop spreading is to get human beings to not to not be in contact with each other and not live their lives at all. That's it. All this other stuff of, oh, you can only go here, but you can't go there. You can wear a mask going to the bathroom in the restaurant, but not when you sit down in the restaurant. You can go to a restaurant outside, but you can't go to a restaurant inside unless you're Gavin Newsom. And then you can go to French Laundry with 10 people because you're special. Right. We see what's going on here. We understand what's happening. Don't. Let them bully you into foregoing your own ability to think these problems through. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. President Trump spent 45 minutes giving a speech yesterday, laying out all of his concerns and, yes, allegations about voter fraud in this election. I watched it and then I went and read through the transcript afterwards to make sure I'm as up to speed as possible on absolutely all of what's happening here. I'm talking to people in the campaign legal team and others who are doing data crunching for them because this is a lot of complicated issues. And and I keep saying this time is not on our side. Uh, It is now the first week of December. This is going to be. I'm just telling you, this is going to be over and done with based on the system right now before the new year. That's what's likely to happen unless you get a judge between now and then to make a really big decision. Now, I think Pennsylvania, as I've told you, is the strongest place for there to be a real legal challenge that would either decertify the vote because it cannot be certified because they cannot prove that it was uh, done fairly and legally. But I, I think the judge, a judge will be very, it'll be very, a very high bar to, to meet. And like, I'm just telling you the truth. I, I know right now, and I want you all to be aware of this. There is a little bit of a squabbling from the scraps from the MAGA table going on in conservative media. And there are some people who figure it doesn't matter what I do between now and the end of January. Uh, All that really, you know, what I say, how wrong I may be, all that matters is that I seem like I'm the real fighter. Look, I'm telling you that Trump needs to fight this thing to the end, but I'm also realistic. You know, I'm coming at this with open eyes about the chances of success. They're not zero, but they're not high. People are welcome to criticize me, tell me that I'm wrong. I hope those people, especially those who have been following me or known me for years, will come back if I'm right which, as we all know, well, I won't say it, uh, but come back and tell me, wow, you were right. We fought it, but your, your prediction on the, on the chances here. And now why does it matter what the chances? It matters because we need to manage our expectations. We need to understand that, that this Georgia runoff on January 5th, we better damn sure get out there with with everything we've got as conservatives. Every Republican in the state of Georgia needs to go out there and vote. And we need to make sure that there's not fraud going on there. You know, we need to, We still have a battle to fight here, friends. Even if Trump wins, we've got a battle to fight. 
There's a lot of stuff going on here. So now I'll, I'll let you hear from the president. This was this was part of his his uh, statement. Play one. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have election days, weeks and months, and lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As president, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. President saying here that it is his duty as commander in chief to make sure that he looks into this with everything that he can, that they do the due diligence, the investigation, and they present facts both in a court of law and a court of public opinion. The president continued, play two. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, they were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections. It is about that. The president has a duty here, despite what all the media is saying and, and their claims that he's he's crazy and this is insane and this is a coup. And, you know, all the hysterics from them. I'm actually almost impressed that they haven't exhausted themselves with their Trump is destroying the republic and, and all the hyperventilating. You would think after a while it would just get tiresome for them, but it's but it's not. Uh, there is a case being presented today in Nevada about voter fraud alleged to have uh, alleged to have occurred there. We've already seen the case presented in Michigan and in Arizona and in Pennsylvania. And now it's Battlefield, Georgia, that a lot of people are focused on. We stay in this fight, friends, win or lose. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is the ideological leader of the Democrat left. We all know this. She can do whatever she wants on social media, and all of a sudden will trend 
and all the all the idiot leftists who think that MSNBC is really high, high level intellectual stuff. They, they say, yeah, AOC, she's great. She knows what's up. Social justice, wokeness, all that stuff. Right. We, we know that that's it's just the way it is. But today this is this is uh, it's trending and it's amazing. AOC has AOC has opened a, a store online. And this is my favorite one. This is all over social media now. She is selling a sweatshirt that says tax the rich. Like, yeah, tax the rich, tax the tax the rich people. How much do you think AOC's tax the rich sweatshirt retails for right now this is in this is the aoc store i'm pretty sure that's capitalism do you think she's going to give uh you know half of the proceeds of this to underprivileged families you you think that she's or or more you you think that this is just being run out of the kindness of her heart no i'm sure she's going to make millions off of this she's a brand now aoc is a brand um, and I, I think that she recognizes that she wants to be a, uh, a a very powerful Democrat for a long time to come. And you need money. Um, I always think of AOC as Appellation d'Origine Contrôlée, which is the French for where a wine comes from. If you ever see AOC, and there used to be a great little French place, probably gone now in the West Village called AOC. So you can either have it be Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez or Appellation d'Origine Contrôlé. Uh, either one, both AOCs. And she's selling this sweatshirt for $65. $65. That's an expensive sweatshirt. Producer Mark, have you ever bought a $65 sweatshirt? Certain ones, yeah. Okay, so you're telling me that's not that that seems kind of pricey to me. That seems like I could probably get a polo sweatshirt or something kind of fancy for that. It's reasonable for something with a logo or something on it. Sure, I guess. Okay, so but but we will hold on. But see, that's a perfect point, because, you know, if you're buying that, I was going to say Eagles jersey, but I don't want you to throw things at me. If you're buying that sweatshirt at Met Stadium, they're taking a big it's you're not just paying for the. Sweatshirt, you got to pay for the name usage and the profit and everything else, right? So you're getting so yeah. I think that's that's what I would assume. If you were if you were buying from one of the don't they sell like gear at the stadiums, right? So if you were buying a stadium sweatshirt, it probably sixty five or seventy bucks. Yes, even online, that's what they retail for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But this is a tax the rich sweatshirt. I can assure you, it doesn't cost her sixty dollars to make this. She's doing this to make a profit. Oh, uh, that's great. $65. Let me see. What, what other gear is? She's got tax the rich, drink water, and don't be racist. What else do we have? Student debt with a line through it. And the Green New Deal. It's like a painting of her with the Green New Deal. <laughs> I love it. I think, I think AOC for our side is great. I think the more people could see this, the better. The more they come to understand that this is someone who is elevated among Democrats, uh, a, a person who I think if you sat in a room with her and tried to solve relatively simple problems, you would say, oh, my God, this this woman is an imbecile. But she's one of the most powerful Democrats in the country. Uh, and I mean, this is somebody who thinks that it's a great slam on her critics to say that she won some kind of a a science award 
in high school. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, when you have millions and millions of followers. That's what you do. And I'm going to tell you this right now. And you may not like hearing this, but but you will you will listen to me say it. And most of you will know it's the truth. And don't give me I, I can already feel heads shaking across the country because you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. Ocasio-Cortez could very well be the Democrat president of the United States at some point in the future. I, I know you don't want to hear it, but it's true because it's all about the story, the media, the narrative. That's all that matters. Joe Biden thinks he just won the presidential election. The media has already declared him the winner. If, if they can make Joe Biden president, they can make anybody president. That's what they're thinking. Why do you think there's so much jubilation? One of the big issues for the media, one of the big problems they had in 2016 was that Trump's victory seemed to be a repudiation of the media's ability in its own mind to be able to declare who should win the presidency and to make it so, to make it happen. Oh, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted this out. Republicans are freaking out because we don't use slave wage labor for merchandise that funds grassroots organizing. What's the difference between Trump's merch and ours? Ours is made in the USA. Um, Yeah, but Trump is a capitalist AOC. (laughs) Trump is trying to make a profit. His ideology is, I am trying to run a business. AOC's ideology is, I want to take money from everybody else to give it to preferred constituencies using government force while I get to be a millionaire. AOC, if she's not already worth over a million dollars, which I'm sure she is, uh, is going to be worth millions and millions of dollars. Politics and celebrity are now one and the same. Right. Politicians have turned into I mean, at, a, at a high level. Politicians are all now celebrities with countless ways to monetize. And that's what they do. And not only in shady ways like Joe Biden and his son and China and Ukraine. Right. We all know about that. But in more standard ways, they give you a book deal. It doesn't matter how many books the, the good authors, you know, the established brands that are writing, you know, thriller novels that sell, you know, a million, two million copies each and all this. They at publishing houses, they pay for giving someone like AOC a book advance that's large. Look, she'll sell books, too, but they'll give her more money than she's worth because it's a prestige thing for the big publishing houses. It's about the prestige that they bring to it. So, yeah, Republicans are freaking out. No, we're not freaking out. We just think it's funny. We think it's funny because she's. uh Supposed to be so anti-capitalist. And, I, and I, like, I, like I've told you, I guarantee you that AOC will be within the next, if she's not already, there'll be a report that comes out in the next four years, right? So we'll say the next presidential administration, you'll find out that AOC, who's, what, 30 years old, close to it, is worth 5 to $10 million, at least, at least. So she's going to be very rich at a very young age, running around telling everybody about how bad rich people are. And how they need to be taxed more. And even more than that, I mean, this is great because really AOC is going to turn into an experiment of liberalism in real time. We'll see that she says all this stuff and just like Elizabeth Warren and these other phonies. But when there's an opportunity for her to make some make some extra cash, she not only is going to is going to jump on it. She's going to want to pay the lowest possible tax rate she can and she'll pay 
you know, elite accounting firms to do that for her. But she wants your taxes to go up. Kind of like the way these Democrats, you're starting to see a pattern here, aren't you? They want you to mask up all the time. Don't eat indoors. Don't eat outdoors at restaurants. Don't see your family over holidays because your sacrifices are for the greater good. They don't want to make sacrifices because that's no fun. So AOC, in many ways, is is the perfect. uh, The perfect Democrat in 2020. She's exactly what the Democrat Party is all about now. Um, Enormous, enormous media profile. Fame, lots of money and Marxism. And how do those things all go together? Well, you have to be an enormous hypocrite an ignoramus and not really care about what's happened in history because of policies like this and what will happen in the future, because you'll be insulated. She'll still be she could she could author policies in Congress in the future. That will bankrupt whole industries, which is what she wants to do with the Green New Deal. She's never going to go bankrupt. She'll always be rich. If you if you knew if you were guaranteed a life of financial luxury. Wouldn't it be so tempting if you were an unethical person, wouldn't it be so tempting to use the, the, the suffering of other people who are striving and working hard and building, but to take more from them so that you look like a good person? You want to give it to those who haven't been able to make it happen yet. I mean, are we really to assume there are so many fundamental flaws in Marxist logic and so many contradictions in the way they approach the world? Are we really to assume, for example, that everyone works just as hard, that everyone's just as talented? I can tell you I'm in the media business now and there are some people who have an incredible work ethic and there are other people who are pretty lazy. And unless the lazy people are really lucky, which does happen, uh, they tend not to have the same career trajectory as the people that work really hard. Should we should we redistribute the money among people in in the in the news business and in journalism? No, they wouldn't. They would never want that. That's no good. Also, you'll notice that journalists in particular, they usually have this cutoff around two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand dollars for people they say is rich. That's because to be a journalist at a at a pretty prestige publication and to just be yet another journalist there, it's really hard to make more money than that. Usually, if you work the New York Times, these places, you kind of top out around two hundred two fifty. And that's if you're pretty good. So. Rich has to be more than that. And the people that are shaping perception all the time at these publications, they they want, you know, rich starts at like 500 K because unless you're an executive or you have other things going on, other other um, sources of income, you're, you're not going to make that working at a, at a newspaper. Right. But you can make 150 grand, 200 grand. You can make that working at think tanks. So that that never counts as rich. You'll notice that that's not really rich. Although eventually what you find with the Marxist logic of people like AOC is that it has to be the workers. The workers do bear the burden of the taxes because there's so many more of them. I mean, you could take every penny, every penny, not just a tax rate of people in the one percent made in any given year. And you wouldn't be able to pay the federal. You wouldn't be able to pay for the federal budget that year. You wouldn't be able to do it. Um, But AOC and the other leftists, they assume that there are these government there are these structural impediments between people that must only be addressed by the government and therefore they're in the position of a kind of deity they get to determine what you get how you get it when you get it 
Kind of like with COVID lockdowns. You're seeing how it all ties together. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's not about saving my life. It's about saving your life. When I have this mask on, I have the, I have the heavy one underneath it. When I have this mask on, it's less about me being safe. It's about me making sure that you're safe. It's a patriotic thing to do. It really is. You know, I hear all this about, well, it's a great sacrifice of my freedom. Well, I tell that to all the people who went to World War I and gave their lives, and World War II and the Korean War. And tell, I mean, come on. You're helping other people. It's not you. It's other people. Other people. Biden's a moron. And he may be president, but he's still a moron. It may, it may happen. But that's not going to change the reality. And notice what he says here. First of all, he's almost 80. So, no, mask wearing, he better hope it works for people who are in his age category. And, and you know, he's not, I'm not worried about Biden protecting me or anyone, you know, who's around my age or within 20 years of my age, 30 years of my age from, uh, from COVID. But he's just used to the talking point. So that's what he say. Yeah, he's protecting other people. No. Other people, don't. I'm not worried. I don't worry about this for myself. I worry about it for people like Joe Biden. So I'm just trying to say, let's let's be let's keep it real. Let's understand what's really happening here. He, he's not doing you any favors, but this is the mantra now. It's about being unselfish. Do what they say, J- just like when they want to take more of your money to feed people that need it. Right. Be unselfish. Let us take from you. Let us make you do things. It's at the center of all collectivist statist action and. Then he goes on to say it's, you know, he's trying to convince you that this is not tyrannical overreach. And then he talks about uh, he talks about conflicts that have involved uh, the compulsory military service and the draft. And, you know, World War Two, that's one thing. World War One, we could have a whole discussion about what we were doing in World War One. But, you know, whether that was really whether that was something that everyone who should have been drawn into and, and fighting for, that's a whole whole other show we should do i mean certainly the european powers shouldn't have been fighting it but why were we fighting it again world war ii we were attacked that's different and yes that is then that, do, you, do you think people were saying oh no we don't let's just you know don't worry about it pearl harbor no everyone's like all right and our country answered the call greatest generation we all know how that went but compulsory military service is a really big deal okay so to, so to compare this to compare masking up to that doesn't make me feel good about things. It makes me think uh, you're, you're comparing this to World War II. Uh, I, I don't like to hear that anyway. And uh, he's he's also just ne- he's never going to say that this was a waste. But it is it is increasingly clear that none of this stuff has really worked the way they said that it would. So and they're never going to say other. They'll say that even if this even if they can't prove it scientifically, theoretically, it's provable and therefore it's it's fine. Um, but th- that's what Biden is also telling you here is it, remember when it was all about Thanksgiving. Just don't travel over Thanksgiving. They didn't say, guys, don't travel for the next 60 days. But that's what they meant. Why can't they be honest if it's just a, if it's so clear that this is what's necessary? Why do they have to keep lying to us? But here's here's uh, old man idiot Biden telling you you can't travel. Play 20. You cannot be traveling during these holidays. As much as you want to, I, I have a large family. We, uh, you probably, uh, used to, Brock used to kid me about it. I mean, 
everything for me is family, beginning, middle, and end. When one comes, everybody comes. You think I'm joking? I'm not. You know, we would have 16 people go away every Thanksgiving. My deceased son, before he passed away, uh, we'd all go away, and we'd go away on Thanksgiving to be just a, a nuclear family. Mom, dad, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, grandchildren. And uh, we, the first time, we had, a, we had a Thanksgiving with my wife and myself, my daughter in the region, and her husband, who's a doctor in the region. That's it. Yeah. Don't travel. I, I know that Biden will. He knows that the hypocrisy of, of him uh, telling you all this is something he's going to try to be careful about. But do you, do you think that do you think that he's really going to stay alone in the basement over the holiday? I don't know. We'll see. I think it's unlikely. Uh, this is this is the, the greatest threat to our freedom uh, since the uh, wars after 9-11. That's what we're going through right now. And in many ways, this is even a more pernicious threat. Uh, because at least on the other side of it, we understood that action was was needed. And if we didn't do if we didn't take action, there was going to be a whole lot more really bad catastrophic terror attacks from Al Qaeda in this, which people forget. Now, that's the truth. In this case, you say we're doing all the things they've told us to do and it doesn't seem to work at all. And their response is always let's do more of those things that do not work. Um, I, I'm sorry, that's that's not reasonable. That's not right. And I don't care how many times Joe Biden repeats himself. He's a jackass. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Harsanyi time. Our friend David Harsanyi from National Review in the mix once again to tell us what he sees happening this week uh, across the country, around the world, in NYC, you name it. David, great to have you. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I understand right now that the cases are are you know, spiking, skyrocketing, and and COVID has everybody really uh, understandably highly very very concerned. But I want to look at this now because you know L.A. had the mayor Garcetti saying cancel. He said cancel everything. That's what he said. That's the quote. They're on lockdown for weeks. You have other states. I think Ohio's in a pretty severe lockdown right now. You have all this happening. Europe, according to the World Health Organization, was the greatest contributor around the globe to cases as of this most uh, as of this past week. And, and I, I'm sorry, but I, I can't get past that for the 90 days or so leading up to the election. We were all told that it was because of Trump and Trump supporters not wearing masks enough that there were still this COVID, these COVID cases. And that's why, I mean, they, they were actually saying Trump killed 250,000 people with his recklessness. Is, is he responsible for all the cases in Europe, too? Is he responsible for all the cases in L.A.? I mean, I, I think we need to do a, a reevaluation here. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was nonsense from the beginning. And people were, you know, I noticed whenever there was a spike in, in red states, people like Paul Krugman and others would immediately blame the, the governors there, like in Florida and elsewhere, and ignore what had happened in New York and, and the tri-state area around NYC, because obviously I think that the, that the biggest mistake made by anyone in politics in America, in America during COVID was, was uh, uh, Cuomo sending, you know, infected people back into the nursing homes. But I'm also of the belief that there's not much you can do about something like this unless you live in a, you know, unless you live in North Korea or a really small 
place island like New Zealand, and even they can't really stop it. I think, you know, there's no system or way to stop a virus. It doesn't care about your politics. Um, but clearly we've had an, we're supposed, you know, more people are clearly wearing masks, right? More people were being locked down and yet the spread has spiked more than ever. And in Europe as well, where supposedly they were handling it well in Germany, where supposedly, you know, they're doing everything right because they have socialized medicine and this and that. Everyone's just using it for their own political hobby horses. And, uh, that's kind of despicable and cynical, but, uh, but expected at this point. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to be as reasonable as I can about this. And I, look, I know that people get dug into, you know, beliefs on one side and the other. And there's confirmation bias and and there's repeat surprise. And there are these concepts where, you, you know, when you've been wrong, you want to believe you're right. So you're wrong again and all this. I understand all that. But I mean, I, I think we are running right now a, a real experiment where in New York we have a lot of, of severe COVID restrictions in place. It's roughly the same size as Florida. Florida has schools open, not like kind of they're open. Businesses open, no mask mandate. We're in December, so we're, we're now getting deep into, you know, uh, respiratory virus, the period, you know, that happens every year, whether it's flu or now this COVID-19. And... You have these two states of close to equivalent population and roughly the same caseload. One is doing everything that we're told by the mitigation Fauci crew. The other is you know, not doing those things. D- does anyone even I mean, I'm, I'm actually asking this in earnest. Do they have an answer as to how that could be? I mean, if, if the CDC director is saying these are powerful tools, maybe even more powerful than a vaccine. That was the quote about mask wearing. Florida does not have a mask mandate. It is better off than New York, and it does have a mask mandate. What am I missing? Well, I don't think that we do know why or how this spreads, really. I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot two, three years from now, and we'll understand what happened better. But the way people treat masks as a panacea is is annoying, clearly untrue. Clearly, it's not as effective as they say, or we wouldn't be having these spikes. It just doesn't make sense the idea that, oh, this is all because of masks, even though that's the only thing they always blame it on is masks, that, you know, conservatives aren't wearing masks. More than that, I, I'm, I'm just offended in a way, and I, I realize people are dying, and I think it's serious, but I'm offended in the way we've made masks some kind of patriotic, uh, you know, so, you know, some kind of patriotic act wearing a mask. Biden, just, Biden actually it, says that. He says it's about patriotism, and that's a quote from the last 24 hours. From the same people who actually don't like overt acts of actual real life patriotism, for instance, uh, making sure that the Constitution is still active and in play and effective during an emergency. You know, the people who complain that the Supreme Court is defending religious liberty, not specifically even religious liberty, but saying that you can't pick on churches alone and tell them not to close while letting you know strip clubs open or whatever. And this offends people because, uh, you know, religious people are are you know, fundamentalists and they don't care about other people's lives and so on. Whether is there any uh, evidence that one way works better than the other, as you ask? No. And no one really makes a case for it. They just what they do is they'll talk about Florida when it spikes, but ignore it in New York. They'll talk about North Dakota when it spikes, but ignore Belgium and England and people that have had mask mandates and have huge numbers. Their death toll is higher per capita in a lot of these countries, I believe. You know, it's always fluctuating, so I'm not sure. But basically, we're all in the same boat. Spain, Italy, Belgium, UK, the United States. These are free countries. 
you can't lock down entire populations and pretend, you know, and destroy their economies. People aren't are only going to do that for so long. So anyway, my my answer, my long answer to that question is no. I don't think they've made a compelling or even tried to make a compelling case for why. Yeah, one one reason I'd like to ask you about this as a, as a kind of sanity check for me is uh, from that you you've always been. I mean, I've read your stuff on this, and obviously I, I follow your your social uh, your social media posts on this. You, you've you've always been a COVID is dangerous, guys. I don't want to get it. Let's you know, let's try to do what we can. You were you were willing to do mitigation in the in the earlier months of this, you know, to the degree that we were told to do it. I mean, I, I've seen you haven't been a like, you know, don't tread on me. I don't give it. I don't give a crap what's going on here about anything, guy. I think you've been evolving as we go through this. And I'm sitting here and I'm just saying and, and I've been a, a little more of that, to be fair. But uh, maybe and maybe even before I should have been. But now I'm I mean, based on, you know, what we knew at the time. But now I'm looking at what's happening across the country and I'm just saying no, nobody could come to this with fresh eyes and say, wow, all we have to do is listen to St. Fauci and everything goes away. And, and I also think that the, the small businesses and, and I've, I've been talking about this on the show every, every day this week, the, the destruction that is being the, the media's job is to give people a full picture of what's happening in the country, because we are supposed to make judgments that you know, affect not only just the perception that we have that politicians will act on, but, you know, kicking them out of office and voting for other people. I feel like there's no interest whatsoever in how many millions of Americans have either gone bankrupt or lost their life's work and life savings, all under the premise that it was necessary to stop this when we haven't stopped it, David. Yeah, I mean, I, I am... It's, I, I thought it was dangerous, and you know, I still wear a mask. I, I wear a mask for myself because why not? And I may wear a mask to make my neighbors feel better. But I have been radicalized somewhat since then because um, once you start compelling people to do things, once you start throwing certain people into jail and stopping certain people from doing Hasidic Jews from doing something, but not people celebrating Biden's victory in Times Square. Once you start shutting down gun shows, as, as they did in Virginia, but allowing strip clubs or whatever liquor stores to be open, once you stop, uh, you know, you, you, you specifically go after church and religious get togethers, uh, I'm pretty radicalized. I think people are, are, are should be able to risk their lives uh, if they feel like it uh, to do things that are constitutionally protected. I'm sorry. I don't you know if I don't know what the infection rate is right now. I don't know what the, the fatality rate is. But it's under one percent, right, or something yes, like it's that. Yes, def- it's definitely under one percent. It's just a question: of, is it you know point right. three or point zero three? But yeah, right. So let's say it's point five. Point uh, five percent death rate from this virus does not is not enough of an emergency in my mind to say that the Constitution now is suspended. And that's basically what these governors are doing. I think I've said it before on the show. They act like dictators. There's no debate. There's no legislation. They're just. You know, they they act like Rome, like Roman Republic era dictators who, for whatever amount of time there's an emergency, get to do whatever they want with anyone. And the courts have to stop them. And I'm happy to see the Supreme Court stepping forward. I don't care. Listen, people should take care of themselves. They're obviously vulnerable populations, mostly older folks who are, you know, in danger. When you look at the death tolls, you know, this is mostly a disease that kills older people. And we need to protect those people. But uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to throw everything away. I mean, you don't need the Constitution when everything's OK. You need it in moments like this when people take advantage. People want to shut down gun shows. And, you know, people think I'm a gun nut. But the bottom line is it, Second Amendment exists. And you don't just get to say that it doesn't exist because there is a 0.5 percent death rate from a virus. Most people survive. 
we act like it's a death sentence. I've, no, I've noticed this, David. Whenever somebody wants to infringe on the Constitution, and we're speaking to David Harsan, he's a senior writer at National Review, uh, everyone. But whenever someone wants to infringe on the Constitution, you're a fill-in-the-blank nut, you know? If you want to go to church during the pandemic, you're a religious nut. If you believe the second, which is, of course, covered in the First Amendment, if you believe you have the right to bear arms, even during the pandemic, you should still be able to buy a gun or have, you're a gun. I mean, this is what they do, right? It's always, and, and what you realize is that the, we're not supposed to have this subject to their whims. That's the whole purpose of these constitutional protections. It's not supposed to be, yeah, you got it until we say you don't. And, and this is, I think, the, the clear red line that they're crossing. Um, but but uh, one more thing here. I mean, you mentioned this. You know, I, I don't think you throw around. I don't think you're a guy who throws around anti-Semitism, uh, you know, lightly. Um, I think you call it anti-Semitism when you see it. So I just want to ask you, because you've been following this uh, the, the way that de Blasio in New York City has treated the Hasidic Jewish community of Brooklyn specifically during this covid period. Do you, I mean, it, is it just that it looks a little anti-Semitic or you think there's actually something else going on there with de Blasio? You know, that's a complicated situation in a way. Now, yes, I mean, I don't know that he walks around saying, boy, I hate those Jews. But I think functionally speaking, his obsession and his focus on the Hasidic Jewish and Haredi Jewish community in Brooklyn is functionally anti-Semitic because he doesn't do it to black churches and he doesn't do it to anyone else. He doesn't do it to Black Lives Matter um, protests and he doesn't do it for any kind of liberal and there, you know, institution. There are Trump voters, by the way. This is what people often forget. Or, or Orthodox right. and, 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 you know, that, that kind of, of Jewish believer tend to be Trump voters. And this is why arbitrary rule by one person is a huge problem and why we have the Constitution, because you can you know, um, use an emergency to go after your political opponents. But there's something deeper in New York. There's always been sort of this this rift between, you know, the black community, frankly, and, and progressives in the city and the, and, and the religious Hasidic community and other religious Jewish communities in Brooklyn and elsewhere. It's been going on a long time. And I think that that's a little bit a part of this as well. And, you know, it's complicated, but I, I do think that functionally, listen, again, I don't know that he hates Jews personally, but functionally speaking, this is what matters. Saying something bad, calling me some name, some Jew, you know, some name because I'm Jewish is offensive to me. But stopping people from worshiping is functionally and real world anti-Semitism. It's, it's, it's undermining the First Amendment, but also specifically for one people. So, yeah, I have a big problem with that. And de Blasio, who I think is just pro probably the worst mayor in Europe's ever had. I mean, I have to maybe maybe historically in the 1800s, there were a few worse, but he is he is up there, certainly in modern times. Totally agree with that. David Harsani, everybody, read his latest at nationalreview.com. David, always good to see you. Anytime. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The question now, the one that you just raised, is where are the Republicans? Where are the Republican the United States senators who perhaps heard of or listened to that 46-minute mentally ill rant last night from the president of the United States? Where are the Barry Goldwaters and the Hugh Scotts from a long gone era who went to the White House to tell Richard Nixon that he had to go? Anyone who listened or heard what Donald Trump said last night and were commissioned by the people of their states to represent the state and the country who did not think 
Maybe we should go down and take this away from him, invoke the 25th Amendment before more damage is done. Where, where are these people? That's the question of the day. That's the question of our time. Invoke the 25th Amendment. MSNBC's Mike Barnacle here. That's right. In the, in the last weeks of what they believe to be the end of the Trump presidency, they want the invocation of the 20th. They're never going to give this one up. You see, it's not enough if Trump loses. It's not enough to have a new president. They very much want Trump to be humiliated and ruined. And I think they're also recognizing that he is going to be quite a force uh, if he is not the president. He's going to continue to be somebody that they're going to have to to deal with, Uh, that he's not just going away, that he's going to cause problems for them. And so that's why they they want an even further repudiation. And can I just say, there's nobody who really believes, I would hope, that that we're going to start listening to Democrat-Russia collusion truthers at this point for advice on what we should do within our own party. I'm pretty sure about that. There's nobody who really believes we're going to listen to them, right? I mean, come on. And to answer Mike Barnacle's question, we have people that, on the right, unfortunately are willing to turn against Trump. We have people on the right who are willing uh, to say things like this, uh, you know, to, to come at him now and, and tell him that it's all, it's all over. You know, we've got Mitt Romney. We've got Ben Sass. We've got these people that, you know, really are just desperate, yearn for that strange new respect from the good people, the New York Times, that strange new respect from CNN that'll last about a day. But they, they need it. They need that. They want that that pat on the head. They want the scraps from the table. And that's why all these Democrats are telling us, oh, yeah, this this is what we should be concerned about. Play five here. Here's Dick Durbin. Another one. Most Republicans in the Senate won't call Joe Biden the president elect. What do they say to you privately about this when you ask them? They're afraid of the Trump voters, the backlashes in their states and districts, that they'll lose the next primary. That's it. That's the bottom line. I think they're embarrassed by the circumstances that they face. Listen, listen, General Flynn is calling for martial law. Some of these other folks in the Republican Party are calling for the mobs in the streets. I mean, this is a situation which is it's comic in a way. I understand that. But it's serious in a way, too. We have got at stake the stability of the United States and the American Republic. It's time for both political parties to get serious. Let's move on this COVID-19 relief. Let's hope with a new president we can turn the page. Dick Durbin, uh, Republicans are embarrassed. Meanwhile, Republicans are still united behind the president. But yeah, let's take advice from libs about how to run our own party. They, They love to do this. Notice they don't ask anyone who supports Trump over at Morning Morning Joe. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Defund the police, the Democrats say. Defund them. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the dumbest political slogans I've heard in my lifetime, honestly. It's hard to think of one that's more uh, more absurd, obtuse, and I certainly think and hope deeply damaging to the Democrat brand. But after uh, the Democrat, you know, the the Democrat superstar Barack Obama came out and said, hey, guys, that's not really a good idea. That kind of shuts down the conversation. And that as a statement is correct. I think it was made 
not entirely just because Barack, you know, isn't a supporter of it, but also because he wants the incoming Biden administration. To, he wants to add some some air of of sanity and rationality to the incoming Biden team. Um, and, and that's what that's at least in part about. But it's it's the, a correct statement. It's a crazy thing to say. And even if even if Obama approves of a lot of the underlying desires that the defund the police movement wants, and he certainly does, he knows that just as a phrase, this stuff matters. This stuff is powerful, right? Black Lives Matter, as the name of a political movement, is intended to force agreement upon people. Of course, Black Lives Matter. Therefore, you can't criticize Black Lives Matter without sounding like someone who disagrees or has some problem with the the phrase itself, right? Which is unfair, of course, that this is this is all just really a, a propaganda tactic, but it works. Are, are you saying, you know, if I say, oh, B, you know, BLM uh, has done bad things all summer all across the country, they say, wait, are, are you saying you don't support Black Lives Matter? I mean, that's just a just a little, just a tone, just a, 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 a touch away from are you saying black lives don't matter, right? No, it's, it goes from do you support black lives matter to are you saying? And I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is like saying I like to, you know, murder babies or something. It's, it's the most morally obtuse, horrible thing you could say. I mean, no, no person could disagree that black lives matter, right? But, but even there, the, the, the point is, is just that. But you have the opposite effect with defund police because most people, uh, most people like their cops in their community. Most people understand that police serve an important role. And we've all had our concerns at different times. We've all been, you know, well, not some of you, I'm sure. Unless some of you listening are very law-abiding. But, well, you know, I'm sure most of you have been pulled over once or you've had, you were at a party in college where the cops showed up. But, you know, we've, we've all had the cops in that role at some point, we go, oh, gosh, the cops are here, you know, fine. But overall, we understand that without the cops, it's the purge. Without the cops, things are a mess. And that's why defund the police is such a dumb slogan. Um, but it does get a lot of attention and it fires up the radicals. And Joy Reid over at MSNBC, who has her own show there, remember, she lied about being hacked in an FBI investigation of her anti-gay statements from 10 years ago on her blog and it was the the lie was laughable and obvious msnbc promoted her gave her her own show that's how serious journalism is in america today but but here she is talking about defund the police play 11 and I just want to mention, uh, just I gently disagree with President uh, Obama. I don't think anybody who disagrees with defund the police was ever going to vote for any Democrat anyway. So I think it, it energized a lot of young voters. I'll just disagree with former president. A rare disagreement on that one. Yeah, what she's saying here is we got to say it because we need the the ignorant youth of America. You know, the young people that think that they're they're want to be revolutionaries. Got to get them fired up for Democrat causes. So we say this. But do they mean it? Do they actually want to defund police? Yes or no. Depending on who you ask, you can hear uh, a very, a very different answer coming uh, coming from this. So I think that that's that's something we should all see. We should all understand here that there's a lot 
a lot going on with the defund the police slogan. And uh, that's why I, I love it when, when CNN has to talk about this, because they're going to put people on the air who say the say the quiet part out loud a little bit here about defund the police, which is that they really just don't like cops, that that there's a, a left there's a left wing frame of mind. There, there's a left wing view that cops are just kind of bad. And that's it's just true. You know, the Democrats were anti-police politics are almost entirely found within the Democrat confines. You have some libertarians. I was going to tell you, it's true. There's some libertarians who don't like cops. Kind of these more radical libertarian types that think, you know, we'll build our own roads and police our own streets and stuff. You say, uh, OK, you know, there's always the how do we get from here to there question, right? How do we how do we go from where we are to that? But uh, you know, they would say maybe something incremental. And I say, well, that sounds kind of like a progressive, but maybe it's regressive going in progressive in reverse. Uh, here's Don Don Lemon, Monsieur Don Lemon, uh, who is talking to uh, Angela Rye, who is an analyst over at CNN, about defund the police. And here's how it goes: Play 14. Is defund the police a slogan that turns voters away? I don't care. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. And what I would say is. I think the moment that we begin to um, ask politicians to account for and to opine on rhetoric of the activist community is the moment that we walk into real trouble. Um, Nobody consulted Lyndon B. Johnson on whether or not what Dr. King was saying was appropriate or if it would work or whether or not it would turn off Democratic voters. What we have to wrestle with in the Democratic Party is whether or not incrementalism has served us and whether or not that's resulted in the saving of more black lives. And I, I would argue it has I, not. I think that's I think that is a very good argument about incrementalism. But when you have something like defund the police, Angela, and you're. It's not a winning strategy. I know you said you don't care, but as an activist, shouldn't you care? Because that slogan, lost seats, it lost Democrats. Oh, it, it actually, it actually did it. Well, I, think, I, know, I know that's a talking point where, where that progressives no. like to say, well. Oh, I'm, and, not, I'm, not, I'm not espousing a talking point. I'm actually relying on data. Ooh, Donna Moore. Donna Moore putting some points on the board here. I got to say, look at that. He's telling the truth. He's right. There were House seats that they should have won, that the Democrats should have won, but they didn't because people in the suburbs who could have gone either way were like, eh, I don't like these defund the police stuff. I don't think the Democrat brand, I got a problem with that. So it's talking about the data. That's, that's what the data shows everyone who's looking at it. Now, of course, there could be multiple interpretations of the same data set when it comes to voting, and that's why so many political pundits, even morons in political punditry, still have jobs. But I mean, just let's put two and two together here. It's a pandemic year. It should have been a a, a and Trump, ob, you know, Trump obviously had some some issues in the suburbs specifically. That's also what the don't get mad at me. I'm just that is what the data shows. It wasn't just the cities. It was the ring of suburbs around cities like Atlanta and Philadelphia. And you know, that that's where uh, Trump underperformed and he underperformed with white males which is something that, you know, there was a lot of focus put by the GOP on on outreach to minority communities. And obviously that worked to some degree, but maybe they didn't think they didn't simultaneously 
put enough of an emphasis on keeping that Trump white working class male voter in keeping that that demographic firmly inside the coalition of uh, Trump Trump supporters as well. Maybe that maybe that is uh, something that we need to think about and, and why that happened. I think in part it's because, well, we'll, we'll do more of a after action analysis when we find out how the uh, you know, we're 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 now uh, we're analyzing an election that's not yet over. And so it's still, you know, we, we got to see your, your top line conclusion is going to be very different if at the end of the day they do have a, le- a major legal victory here. And remember, all they need is one. With all this recount stuff that's going on, all they need is one big win in court in one of these key states. And that changes the whole game. Because if one legal challenge is valid and that changes one of these states, they keep saying, oh, there's too many states. It's different than Bush, Gore and Florida. Not really. Uh, Because if one state had enough fraud for it to be flipped or even just decertified or uncertified as an election result, then the then it's very obvious there could, in fact, be some of these other states where that's the case. So we got to get one. If you get one, then we're in a different world. If we if we have one state that flips at this stage, the rest of the states that are that are in that are contested in this election, all of a sudden it feels like they're wide open. So uh, back to uh, defund the police for a second. I want the Angela Rye perspective here to be very widespread among Democrats. I want them to think this way. I want them to think, let's be radicals. Let's do whatever does well on Twitter. Let's go with our, our leftist you know, ideology first and foremost and not worry about the electoral impact. That's great. That's great. Because I, I believe that the BLM movement and defund the police is the reason that Democrats did not win the Senate and did not win Seats. I know they still have control, but did not win additional seats in the House of Representatives. I really think that that is true. Uh, I think that that was an enormous drag for them, and, and it should have been. I mean, it was crazy. The stuff they're talking about was nuts. Didn't make any sense. You're going to get rid of all cops? What happens then? Oh, just, you know, armed men broke into my home. People say, oh, Buckle, you have your own gun. Uh, yeah, I also know something about what gunfights are like when you've got multiple assailants, and it's just you, right, from... from training back in the agency days and uh, it doesn't work out well for you usually you know if there's no cops the cops are the cavalry here yeah i want to be able to defend my home and call the cops i don't want it to be if someone gets together 10 people they come into my home and it's well you know they've all got they've all got uh you know semi-automatic rifles and i've just got a shotgun and it's like that's it right there's a reason why we have cops in society there's a reason why the state has has police forces and this has been true for as long as we've had governments in states, right? The state has to have has to establish a monopoly on legal force. Otherwise, it turns into a, a, a Hobbesian state of nature very quickly. God, I haven't brought up Hobbes in a long time on the show, but, you know, something new every day here. Something new every day. Got to keep you on your toes. Um, so we've I think we've basically covered where we are now with this election. I think Nevada, we'll, we'll look into where we are with Nevada uh, coming up here because they're making a presentation today. Tomorrow we'll dive into some of that together. Um, and I, I also think that they're going to realize 
that uh, the, the Trump movement is going to continue to be something that's that's out there. And that's why they're so they're so bitter about this. They're so angry about the fact that this fight continues on in this way. Uh, so we, we will keep an eye on it. Oh, speaking of Republicans who speak out against Trump, do we is Michael Steele still a Republican? I just does anyone know? Does anyone know? 16, play it. The great little dirty part of this is Donald Trump right now, Joy, is raising money at a faster rate to sort of to to steal the election than he did when he was trying to win the election. And that's what people need to understand. All right. He's raising more money now than he did when he was actually running for the job that he's now trying to say that they stole from him. Yes. So, look, the the grift is on, baby. It is just on. You need to understand it. And if anybody wants to be a sucker and send their dollar to Donald Trump for his recount effort, y'all just suckers because it ain't there. It ain't going to no recount. It's going into his pack. And that PAC money, and this is important, allows him to go out and do political stuff unrelated to the recount. That sounds like a good thing to me. Is the, is the alternative having Michael Steele in charge of the RNC again? Because that didn't work out very well. Is the alternative to put the, the Romneyite wing of the GOP back in charge? You're seeing this happen right now. You want to talk about the grifters. The people that made common cause that allied with Democrats against this president in an election year. Oh, they, they think what now? Now they stand for conservative principles. Now they stand for policies that will help Americans and put America first. I don't think so. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, there's one more, one more voice weighing in on Obama is wrong about defund the police. Sonny Austin at The View, who I'm sure lives in a multi-million dollar home in an absolutely beautiful, safe and secure neighborhood. But, you know, she, she thinks defund the police sounds great because that's what the people on Twitter, you know, the blue check journos who live in Silver Lake in L.A. and Brooklyn here in New York. You know, that's what they that's what they want to tell everybody. Yeah, defund the police. Sure. Here's Sonny Austin, 17. You know, I'm always loath to um, criticize President Obama because I'm such a fan, but I do think he's wrong here. I mean, when you think about defund the police, that's not a term that was crowdsourced or tested in focus groups. You know, that's a term that was born, um, a rallying cry that was born out of this over-policing of black and brown communities, born out of the frustration of seeing black and brown men and women killed in the streets by police officers. And defunding the police does not mean for the... hundredth time I've explained it does not mean uh, eliminating police departments. It doesn't mean stripping agencies for all of their money. It's reimagining policing in this country to address systemic racism. We defund school programs all the time and they call it defunding school programs. Yet no one seems to have a problem with that. But people all of a sudden have a problem with defunding the police, that term. And I don't think you should allow people to co-opt the movement and, and tell people protesters what language they should use. I think, you know, President Obama was a community organizer, and I really think that he, uh, you know, knows better. Okay, let me just, I, I would love to ask this. So what What police program does this, she's got a law degree, right? She's supposed to be somebody who understands the law. What, what police program should be defunded? 
Explain that. If you're just talking about budget cuts, okay, that just means less cops. What what areas of the country really want less police presence right now? I, I just want to know what what major areas where, where there's crime, because that's what we're focused on. She says black and brown communities over policing those. That's what she's talking about. Where should we have uh, half the cops we do? Want to try that in New York? Want to try that in L.A.? No. Well, people like Sonny Austin, who are paid a lot of money to sound like idiots on television, live in fancy houses, probably have servants bringing them things all the time. While they do that and they talk about how much they care about poor communities and they want to defund police in those poor communities, people are dying, getting shot, getting killed, getting raped, getting murdered. And there's not enough cop. uh, There's not enough police presence as it is. But she's saying, oh, it doesn't mean get rid of them entirely. It just means, you know, defund, reimagine. What the hell does that mean? Reimagine. Okay, reimagine how? We have cops with no weapons? Hmm. A lot of, you know, cartel assassins and gangbangers that are going to love that new new setup. No weapons on the police, huh? Idiocy. The people that say this are a disgrace because most of them are actually smart enough to know that it's bullcrap. But for them, it's just about what gets the likes on Twitter, gets them on TV, makes them seem radical and edgy and cool while they get their huge paycheck and live in their gated communities. Classic lib frauds. They're all over the place. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just love this story. Um, because it gets me thinking about all the all the different people out there who have brought like peacocks and uh, miniature horses and things as emotional support animals onto planes. And I just think about what if, if I could get if I could get away with bringing any animal on a plane as an emotional support animal. I mean, I think wombat would be very high on the list. Uh, I think it'd be fun to have a, an emotional support raccoon. Or a fox, you know, those would be kind of cool. But it turns out the Department of Transportation has just said this week they will no longer require airlines to make accommodations for emotional support animals as they do for trained service dogs. So that's right. Your therapy monkey or therapy miniature horse (laughs) may not be allowed on. Oh, man. What a shame. What a shame. Yeah, that's right. In 2018, a woman tried to get her peacock Dexter uh, on board a United Airlines flight. Uh, And also in Orlando, Florida in 2018, a woman and her emotional support squirrel were booted off a flight. Producer Mark, what would be your chosen emotion? Any animal, but you got to actually have it with you. Okay, so like don't say a tiger because it might eat producer Mark. And then who's going to do all the work on the show? Um, But any animal that you could have as your emotional support animal that's not a dog. Don't oh. don't try that one. See, dog was the obvious choice because I actually like dogs. I can't think of another right. animal I actually enjoy. No, come on, man. You got to have one. You got to. It could be a bird, a squirrel. It's got to be something ridiculous. So yeah, I'm going to go like, with like, are zebras uh, violent? I mean, I think they kick and bite and they're kind of big, but I guess you could maybe have like a mini... You want a mini emotional support zebra? Well, if somebody's putting a peacock on a plane, I imagine a zebra could fit. Peacocks aren't as big as zebras, my man. Peacocks are pretty big when they spread out. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. How does that fit on a plane? There's some width there for sure. But I guess they wouldn't fan out the full tail on the plane because we're talking about a civilized peacock. That's true. It's an emotional support peacock. You know what? Then I'm going to go with if it has to fit on a plane, I'll say ferret. Because that seems ridiculous enough. 
You know, I bet right now there are some ferret owners listening to the, this show because uh, I read that for warm-blooded pets, number one is dog, by just by numbers across the country. Number one is dog. Number two is cat. Number three, ferret. Really? Yeah. I would have, like, yeah. assumed snake or something. No, well, warm-blooded mammals. Oh, okay. So, Sorry. Uh, I didn't for hear for the mammals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and now I just saw, I've, I've been telling you about TikTok, and you should all be following me, Buck Sexton, on TikTok. I've been telling you about um, my uh, my love for this beaver on TikTok. No inappropriate jokes or comments sent in about this team. All right, I can already I can hear the typing. It's an actual aquatic mammal beaver. But so the uh, beavers like to say stay moist and wet. Producer Mark is is misbehaving today, but it's an actual. It's it's got the canines. It's an actual beaver that likes to swim around and build dams. But it's the cutest little pet ever. But now I've seen there's also a is a rat. This this is what's going to explode. People are going to have cute furry animal TikTok, and that's going to be its own thing. This this little raccoon, and it it, it like plays with the German Shepherd. It's great. I'm telling you, uh, I could never want a raccoon in my house. Come on, I'm telling you, they're cute. They're wild animals. I know, but they're cute little guys, and they're really soft with the fur. For what I for what I understand, I've never actually touched one, but from what I understand, yeah, I wouldn't recommend touching one. Yeah, I wouldn't touch one in the wild, but I mean, they're they're very cute little little fellas. I think a pet chipmunk would be awesome. And think about how think about an emotional support chipmunk, how portable it would be. I mean, it could basically ride around your pocket. Are you going to name it Alvin and have it sing to you? Christmas time. You know, I try to I can't get my voice high enough for that. But, you know, do an Alvin and the chipmunks Christmas thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the reference I was making. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. Producer Mark, hit that roll call. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Saxton. And we should have a, an editorial today on lockdown hypocrisy up on BuckSexton.com today. By the time you hear this, uh, we're, we're trying to get it posted. I've written it, so it's written. Uh, but I see it is not yet. Uh, it, it, it'll, it'll go check out BuckSexton.com. It'll, it'll get going. Um, okay. Now, here we go. Next up here on the roll call, where did where did it go? Okay, let, let's kick it off here. Richard writes, Buck, according to Eric Erickson, there were 20,000 people in Georgia who voted for Trump in the primaries but didn't vote at all in the general. What if Trump lost Georgia because the GOP in Georgia are incompetent rubes? Why didn't they get the vote out? I agree that other states look shady. What say you? Brine the turkey and keep your shield high. Richard, I, I do think we need to be very honest and we need to take a real look here at, you know, did, was the GOP in Georgia uh, asleep at the wheel? I have my friend Ryan Gerdusky on the show earlier in the week, and he's talking about this. The Georgia GOP is not a well-oiled machine and they may not have done a good enough job there. And Georgia is now a purple state. It's a purple state. It's not red. So we, we got to see what the heck's going on there. You know, I understand even so what, what I'm trying to make sure everyone's clear on, even if there was enough fraud in Georgia to cost Trump this election, 
We obviously need to clean that up and get that addressed. However, going forward, Georgia is going to be contested as a contested battleground. Georgia is now a state that we got to fight for. So we got to remember that. And, and that means, OK, let's what what's going on with the the GOP in that state? How, how do we actually get it up and running in the way that we need it to be? So, Richard, you're thinking about this in the right way, my man. We got to got to be honest about our own side. You can't do an after action report. where You're like, I'm amazing. I'm the Georgia GOP and I'm great. Uh, obviously not. Georgia should have been red. I mean, it should have been clear red. And some of you are yelling, Buck, but they cheated. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying, you know, Trump should have been up by a couple hundred thousand votes in Georgia. What the heck is going on? Um, and yeah, if Eric, look, if Eric Erickson said 20,000 people in Georgia voted in the Trump, uh, for Trump in the primary, didn't vote at all in the general. I mean, I'm sure Eric lives down in Atlanta. I'm sure he's right. Kyle Buck, you talked about the perception in the military that it's not always the best that rise to the top. While there are absolutely great leaders that get promoted to high ranks, there are just as many who simply checked all the right boxes and had fortuitous career timing for promotion and retention, but are otherwise unimpressive. A lot more people get out because they have better opportunities in the civilian sector and are simply tired of the BS associated with day-to-day life. While the military certainly breeds great leaders compared to other institutions, it's still a government bureaucracy with all of the negative traits you'd find in other bureaucracies that don't wear camouflage for a living. Kyle? So glad to hear from somebody in the military community that can weigh in on this one. Um, that was, I would assume, or I would have thought that was the case based on what I saw at the CIA. I mean, I would say in the CIA at the senior levels of that institution, which is very, which is large, not as large as the military, but it's very large. You know, for every, for every person that really is squared away and knows their stuff and is a real asset to the, for every person in the senior bureaucracy who you would say, wow, that person's really good. There are three that you go, well, that person's a clown. So it's really a three to one. You get three bureaucrat sloths for every, you know, kick-ass freedom fighter in the CIA. I, I'm talking about the senior levels. If you're talking about lower levels, it's like 10 to one sloth, you know, not doing much to people that you're impressed by. But even at the senior levels, most of the of the senior leadership you come across, you'd say, oh, so this person just did what they needed to do to rise up the ranks, never took any risks, played the politics. A lot of that. A lot of that. Uh, all right. Next here. Misty. Hey, Buck, is there a reason we only sign the envelope for mail-in ballots instead of signing the actual ballot? I keep hearing about the ballot being separated from the envelope so we can verify which ballot goes with which signed envelope. Seems logical to sign the ballot, too, doesn't it? Shields high. Uh isn't the doesn't the ballot not act does the uh misty that's a good question i don't have a i don't want to give up i don't want to give you an answer because i don't know producer mark any idea i don't know no i, I don't know yeah i don't know i don't yeah i don't know either um misty good question let me let me look into that we'll try to find out why um and i i know different states i think have different procedures so you know there's 50 states out there so i certainly don't know how it goes in every single state but excellent misty with an excellent question i'm stumped bruce and mark misty stumped me i'm glad somebody finally did and it'll shrink yeah. your head a little bit yeah i know maybe it'll fit into a normal size hat now but maybe it, it has been the, it has been I, I feel like uh i feel like i've just stubbed my toe i've been stumped you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast 
Roll call continues with uh, Matthew. Buck, if things continue as they are with the election, why should any of us ever trust our votes will matter in future elections? Um, Matthew, well, look, I, under- I understand your concern, your frustration. Here's what I could say to you. Um, obviously, I could give you a Reagan trust but verify here, which I think is a- apropos. I think that's a good approach in many circumstances. But as for whether you can trust future elections, if we are able to get answers here and if we get satisfaction that that the the vote counts are, are in fact what they're supposed to be. But there's always going to be a margin of error. I need everyone to understand that. You know, if we have an election where, you know, one out of one out of every hundred thousand votes is fraudulent. I mean, I think that's pretty good. And the great, you know, there's, you're never going to have a perfect election. We didn't understand. That. We have 150 million votes. You know, someone's going to spill coffee on something and mark the wrong thing down for somebody else that they're curing a ballot or whatever. I mean, there's going to be errors. There's going to be problems. But it's got to be good enough that the guy that actually should win wins. And if we get answers about this process to our satisfaction, I think, yeah, you can go into the future elections thinking, all right, this is this is likely to be uh, likely to be a a fair election, at least in terms of the voting and the ballot counting. But there's always that possibility of fraud. There's always that prospect. And and I can understand people have had their faith shaken right now in all of this. They feel like I I obey the rules. I vote. I show up. I do what I'm supposed to do. And I I, you know, am a law abiding person. Even when the other party's in power, I understand that that's the system we have. And and they feel like, but if they're going to cheat, what does that mean? And I, I don't have any great way to make that feeling dissipate. I, I, I wish I could wave a wand and say, no, 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 it's don't worry about that. But Matthew, I can tell you that we should be concerned about this. So I would say it requires faith, but vigilance. Maybe that's the way to. And that's assuming that we get answers this time. If we don't get the answers we need in this election, uh, you know. The only reason, but but so maybe this is this is also where I need to point out on Georgia. There is this effort right now. There are people out there who are saying, I, I, someone recently said it. Uh, Kimber was got a lot of attention the last couple of days. You know, don't even if if this doesn't work out with Trump, don't even vote in Georgia. That's crazy. Don't don't give the battlefield. You know, it's kind of like if, if you were playing a football game and the other side was cheating. The answer is not. Well, now let's just let them run up the middle and score every time because they're cheating. <laughs> that, that's a terrible idea. You got to hold the line and try to root out and stop the cheating. Right. You got to hold the front line in this case. Right. Hold that line. You can't let them just run all over you as as a uh, additional benefit that they would have as a result of their cheating. Ted, here we go. I have a friendly disagreement with you. You stated that Biden will not be able to fire the special counsel due to left statements in the past. You're wrong. As long as the media is what it is, and the Republicans continue to be spineless. The left will do what it wants. Thanks for your show. Ted, I don't I, I don't think we actually have a disagreement here. I, th- I said it will be more difficult for them to do so without consequence, meaning that it'll be obvious that they were that they're uh, acting in a way. That's why I brought up. It was the basis for Trump. It would have been the basis for Trump impeachment, they always said. So it would therefore be a case for us to make that it's the basis for a Biden impeachment if he did so. That's not to say that Biden would not do it. I said it would raise the cost of doing it, make it harder now that it is a special counsel. I think that's 
a fair way of viewing it. So, Ted, I, I don't know if we have a disagreement. I think what you're saying here is correct. So if I didn't say that or if I wasn't clear on that, let me clarify my position. I do believe, and maybe you disagree with this, that it raises the cost. If it was if the Durham probe was just housed within the DOJ bureaucracy, they would make it go away and you would never, you know, the, the, the Durham probe would sleep with the fishes, never to be seen again. Nobody would ever even hear of it. They'd be like, who's this Durham guy? And he had a probe and, you know, but no, now the Democrats get the special probe, so to speak. And it's going to be harder for them to remove it. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. Harder for them to do so. Doesn't mean impossible. Doesn't mean they won't. It just raises the cost of them doing so, which also means there's a greater likelihood of us finding out that uh, of us seeing this as, you know, something that will be seen through to the end. We'll actually get answers about it. Mike. Hey, Buck, about the female football player. I agree with you that females cannot compete with men in the football arena. However, this was a special circumstance because of COVID-19. The Vanderbilt football team was without a kicker and they recruited from the ladies soccer team. Mind you, this girl is six foot two. She is a big girl. Now, when you say that anyone could kick it further than what she did, I have to disagree. First of all, this was a short kick by design. They call it a squib kick. They want to avoid kicking the ball to the opposing team's best player that might run all the way back for a touchdown. So knowing they would have a weak kickoff team, they did a short kick. She could have kicked it to the end zone if they would have let her. Second, they would have kicker tryouts for a reason. Not everyone can kick a ball. It's not as easy as it looks, especially under pressure. Uh, Mike, all right, you're going to make me, I'm going to have to dig into this. I, I don't, I'm not buying this. Okay, maybe they decided to do a squib kick, but they did it because they knew that she probably wasn't going to kick it far enough. Okay, I'm telling a, a male kicker. If you took a guy, I knew a guy in college for my, my team and my college uh, football team, not that I played on it, but my college's team, they brought up some guy from the soccer team and yeah, he could whale a football. And he could kick it pretty much into the end zone whenever he wanted. Uh, a female kicker cannot do that. Okay? I'm just telling you right. It cannot do that. So, uh, I don't know, man. Mike, I, I, I guess I'll have to look into this a little bit more. But what I'm saying is that, this okay, you could bring me on, let's say, to a, a, football, a football field and then say, oh, the one kick that I get is going to be a squib kick. So then it's, oh, look at this person. We, we had him kick in the... You could have me do a squib kick in the NFL and it wouldn't be that far off, right? I mean, I just kick it up the middle and bounce around and... Uh, so I'm still not impressed by it is the point, right? It still doesn't prove that someone can actually do that job at that level. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, Shields High.